Bowtech Archery prides themselves on offering a bow for everyone. Whether you have a short draw length, a long draw length, pull 70 pounds or 40 pounds, you're a bow hunter or a target archer, they offer a bow that can be customized to fit your body type. On top of that, their deadlock technology allows you to fine-tune your arrow flight. Visit BowTechArchery.com and check out the SR350 and the CP28. Bowtech Archery, refuse to follow. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Peter. Hi, I'm John Teeter with Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. So let me get in a, a little bit what I've been working on. I've had a chance to go over my property this week and spend a little bit of time getting preparations done for hunting season. That means getting tree stands set, taking a look at my box blinds, evaluating my food plot for success, adding some seed to my food plot. So I'm going to give a little trick here, something that I want to share with everybody. So in my corn plot, one of my corn areas, it's about, oh, I want to say three quarters of an acre. I created a trail system through the center of that food plot. And then right at the center, adjacent to a box blind, I'm adding late season food, grain, or in this case, it's grass and brassica and red clover. That's been my trick. I've done that for years and years and years. Late season food source, uh, well, it's not all late season, but some plants that are mid season and then late season. So I just want to share that with everybody because the architecture of these food plots can be manipulated this time of year to find success in the fall. Small tidbit, but that's been a bit to my success and hopefully with high expectations this year, I hope to kill a, a nice deer maybe over that area. So I want to get into a topic that I think is really important. I'm going to be a little crass here today and just say how I feel. I think the more that I'm raw on these podcasts and real, I think the more that people are getting out of it. And the feedback I'm getting, even from the last podcast, is be as real as possible. We can be as technical as we can, and we can be as specific as we can, and we can just be raw. And I think that's important through these podcasts that we're not sugarcoating anything. There's no intention to hide things or, or, or be overly sophisticated. Let's be direct. So fortunately today, I have a great guest on, a good friend of mine, and actually my partner, Josh Stryker. And Josh has been a part of my business, and I've talked about him throughout this podcast. He's, he does implementation work. Uh, he's a logger by trade, and he's a great guy, and I've got a lot of respect for him. Beyond just my business relationship, I think he has a lot to share. We're going to talk about how to not get screwed by a logger. Now, we'll be a little more poetic probably in the intro and title of this thing, but that's the intention to talk about logging, its potential benefit, and how not to get in trouble in those situations. Josh, are you on the line? I am. All right. So welcome aboard. I know this is your first podcast, and I don't think you had any intention of ever being on this thing, but uh, I think it's important <laughs> you, you you join and share your love, man. How you been? Uh, I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. No, I, I didn't really have much intention of being on here, but uh, I'm happy to be. It's a good good thing, good topic to talk about. I talk to a lot of people that run into bad situations 
with having their timber cut. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a good good thing to talk about. Let, let's talk about how we met. So let's see. I bought my property going on five years ago, and you actually did the implementation work on my property. And when this started, uh, I was looking for somebody to help support my business. At the time, you had no idea that I had a deer hunting business. That was the, my thing. And I interviewed a bunch of loggers. I had blown out my ACL. I could barely walk. And I had loggers and foresters. Every forester came in my house. I threw them out the door. Every logger that came in, I threw them out the door. I interviewed so many people. I was so specific. And I don't know if you remember this, but I had drawn out a map. We had orchestrated a contract. I had plotted where all the trees were. I had measured all the trees or detected volume uh, so not only did I have the species, I had my rough estimate of what the volume total board foot was on the property. Obviously, I had drafted a contract with you. And I think it was maybe a little bit more involved than maybe you had expected in the past. And it was kind of a test run. I think you didn't know this at the time, but I was evaluating you on your performance. And uh, you followed through and did a great job. And I was really happy with the outcome of that. And as a result, we kind of formed a business relationship. And I think in that process, what I learned was, you know, you've got to work with people that you trust. That's probably the most critical thing that I've learned throughout the process of doing business with anybody. And in that process, I really learned to trust you. And that's why I have a lot of respect and admiration for you. So I'll give you your one kudo for the day. I'm not going to talk any more greatness about you because we're going to get into the topic. But what did, what was the engagement like in that situation? How did you feel about interacting with me? Because it was probably, I'm a little intense, I think, at times. So what, what did you think? Honestly, that was the most bizarre first meeting I have ever had with a landowner. <laughs> never have I met with a landowner that comes to me with a map with species specific map dotted each tree on their property with tree counts and volume. And I just, I've never met with anybody like that. Foresters don't even get into that with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. So you didn't know what you were getting into. And then... I didn't have a clue what I was getting into. Good, good. Uh, that certainly made for a good start for us, I guess. Um, and I probably checked on you a few too many times at the landing site. But uh, hey. I get used to that. <laughs> good. All right. So I don't want to commandeer the conversation. And we're going to try to be a little crass on this. And, and we don't have to be, you know, super well-defined in everything we're talking about. Don't I don't even have an agenda with you. But we're going to probably walk through the process. This is going to be two-part discussion. I plan in the first part us talking about kind of the general interaction, how to get going, because a lot of people are thinking about deer season, but you and I are thinking about implementation season, which starts right after deer season. So I think we should, I don't know, support the idea that it's a good time to start planning ahead, start getting an idea of what you're going to do. Maybe you're hiring a consultant, maybe you're working with a logger or a forester, or whatever the case may be. But you're starting to think actually about next season. And in doing so, you may need to interact with somebody that's going to give you some support. In this case, Josh is a logger. You know, he may be your support system. He may be the person that you're relying on for information, you know, in the market, you know, what your tree species are. He's maybe walking your land before hunting season or during hunting season for that matter. So I want to get into that mindset first 
for this part of the discussion. And then we're in, in the second part, which would be part two of this, I think we'll get into maybe more specifics on, you know, how to lay out kind of a plan and, you know, things that you could run into, you know, when you're logging and the issues and landowner considerations as much as logging considerations. So why don't you start out with something that you think is essential to the initial phase of it? And I, I did start with trust earlier because I think that's critical, but something that you consider important. You, you did mention trust, but you said it a couple of times. You got you to gotta have a plan, start planning plan that would be number one that would be the number one thing for any landowner it doesn't matter what you have on your property for for timber or what your property is you have to have a plan as to what you want to get out of it if you want to cut your timber heavier and you know create wildlife habitat then that would be a totally different approach than if you want to do a very select harvest and and manage your timber for a long term. So in a lot of instances, you're doing both. You're, and even on some properties, you're actually doing, you know, there's multiple goals. There could be a goal of long-term timber sustainability. There could be a, you know, a short-term goal, uh, maybe of harvesting in a certain area, maybe you're harvesting heavier to reset an area, regenerate area. There could be, hey, we have really specific goals and objectives related to building deer habitat. And, and again, that's something that has to be maintained. That's not just we go in and cut the timber and it's, it's good for the next six years. There's, there's a lot involved in that strategy. And, and you've, you do all of that. Uh, and what do you find? Like a lot of your clients, you know, you are working with, you know, obviously people that I'm connected with, my clients. But what are you finding? What what are people mistakes people are making when they first start this journey? I've got a timber lot here that that's got some value or, or maybe it doesn't have value and you come in and assess it. Where do you start with a client? I think a lot of people get a little too nearsighted. They get they they just want they want something that's immediate. They want like for instance one one guy we're working on right here close to home in New York. He's got a 100 acre parcel and he has a very good mix of on his property and we were able to manage his timber for more long-term good timber growth that will be able to be harvested periodically over the years. And then there's other sections that's going to be cut harder. That's more directed towards creating bedding areas and travel routes and for the deer habitat. So he, he's got a little bit of everything. And and he he was he was great um, as far as a client. He know he knew exactly what he wanted before he even called me. He 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 had a plan in his head. He he wanted good hunting on his property. That's what he wanted. He said, "I I, I don't care so much about the timber. I just want good deer hunting." He's he's a middle aged guy. He knew what he wanted and. His property, the way it lays out, we were able to lay everything out perfectly, or you did more specifically, but it, it just certain areas where we didn't want the deer particularly traveling, we were able to do more of a select cut and then do heavier cuts where the deer prefer to be generally and create good bedding areas for them. So one of the things I think people miss out on is not having a strategy. And they walk into their lot and they, they don't know where deer want to naturally reside. That's problem one. Problem two is from that point, they start just randomly doing things. 
we've talked about this on this podcast many yeah, times. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. So when you get into a situation like that, where, you know, that the goals are a little mixed, right? There's some opportunity to, you know, make some money, harvest some timber. And at the same point, you have some offset because there's a service cost, right? You're not free, clearly. Um, so you're going to be running the chainsaw. You're going to be doing this fine work. There's a benefit there because if you know how to set like a layout appropriately, you can work a little more efficient. So the way you're felling trees made a lot, may allow you to have to do less groundwork, right? Uh, where you're bucking trees, moving tops around, et cetera. So there's really some synergies of opportunity in that where you're working kind of in collaboration with a habitat plan and harvesting trees for that matter. And then it really boils down to what your long-term goals are for those particular areas, because you may leave some seed trees in there or trees that you want to later cut. And I call it variable thinning. So you're thinning over a longer period of time and you're looking at, you know, the benefit of that. So you're, you're slowly opening up the canopy as the canopy starts to close again. And it's just this juxtaposition of updates throughout those bedding areas. And that really is a key strategy to how I lay out those bedding areas. And obviously, Josh, you understand that because you're doing the work. With um, with your clients that you work with and you, you introduce yourself, how do you gain trust? What, what are the strategies or what should individuals do before they hire somebody? And I think that's really important. It's not just writing a contract. What do they need to know? I, I For me, I really don't do anything. I don't, I don't get myself hyped up or anything before I go to meet a landowner. I, I'm, I'm just me. And I've found that honesty is, is what people want. I mean, I've, as much as people don't want to hear it, I've met with landowners that think that they have oodles of money in timber and you get there and it's not there. And I, I've told guys that, that there's nothing here. I mean, there's, there's a couple pennies here and there, but there's nothing, nothing worth harvesting. You're not going to see enough money to matter off this job. You know, I, I walked a job with a guy he had on two or three parcels that were all connected, but separated by roads. He had a good chunk of property and I walked all of it, every inch of it. And I found a handful of trees that could be considered harvestable and they were pretty sorry looking trees at that. And somebody had just gone through and just stripped it. And the the guy, he was really, he had no idea it was like that. He, in his mind, those trees were worth money and he, he, he took it pretty good. And he valued my opinion. And I, I told him he, he needed to wait a good many years and we would reassess it. And I think people appreciate that versus the guy that walks in there and says, oh, yeah, you know, I can, I can cut however many trees and, you know, little dollars make big dollars and, and I'll make you some money. I just, I feel like at that point, I guess to put it in perspective, if somebody feels like they're talking to a used car salesman that's trying to sell sell them something, you're talking to the wrong person. You need to be talking to somebody that's going to say, first of all, within the first five minutes of conversation with a landowner, 
I'm asking them what they want to get out of it. What's their long-term goals? What, what are they looking for? Some of them have long-term goals. They want to manage the timber, have it cut periodically throughout their lifetime. And other people say, I, I've lived my days here. I'm getting older, getting ready to retire, whatever the case may be. They want to capitalize on the timber money and sell the property or whatever it may be. And they're just total, two totally different approaches to, to, to harvesting timber. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. And what I find interesting is some of it's your stage of life. Some of it's your financial standing. Of course, there's the goal piece of it. Everybody has different thoughts on what they're trying to do. And you have to assess that. And you also have to build a relationship like on your end, not only do they have to trust you, you're going to have a contract involved. And obviously you're either buying the timber standing at a fixed price or you're doing a share with them um, or interim payments, whatever the case may be, the the contract side of it is, is, a, is a different thing. And we, we should probably talk about that in a second, but you, you have yeah. to step a, step them along the process and then you have to gain their trust. And at the same time, you have to be willing to want to do the work with them. I mean, you're flushed with work right now. So it's not like uh, you're trying to, you know, gain more opportunities for that matter, but you're still looking at parcels and making decisions and you're building kind of long-term relationships with these people. So you can go back and cut in five or 10 years and they continue to reap the benefit and you continue to, you know, grow in your business. So what would you say in your mind, like when we're getting to the pro, you know, to the process of understanding what people want, what pitfalls have you run into? What issues have, I don't know if it's drama or issues, give some stories about things that don't work out or haven't worked out. Or maybe, maybe these clients have, have the wrong approach and idea. Like earlier you're saying they, they overvalue their property and, and uh, they don't understand maybe there could be cosmetic issues or other things that come along with the process. What, what issues have you bumped into? Um, uh, the most, the biggest issue I've run into is, um, gaining people's trust. There is more people than not that have been screwed either by a landowner or a forester previously. And I mean, I haven't had doors slammed in my face, but I've gotten a cold shoulder a good many times. Just people, especially middle-aged to older people that have gone down the road of having their timber harvested, a lot of them have a bad taste in their mouth. And I would say gaining their trust is, is the hardest thing that I face. And I've heard, you know, more times than not, it's a logger doing it. But there has been multiple instances where a forester has done it. I, I, I caught one woodlot and this was for a mill. I had nothing to do with any of the buying. It was just cutting and skidding for me at that point. Um, the forester made as much money as the landowner. And, and that is just, you, you might as well, you'd be better off getting screwed by a logger at that point. I mean, that guy got hit so hard. He, he had no idea. I don't think he had any idea when it was all over with how bad he got screwed. And it just, I, and, and that's, that goes to the other end of things too. Some people think they have all this value in their timber and they don't. Well, some people don't realize how much they have in their timber. 
I mean, I've written checks to people that that they had, they weren't even expecting half as much as what I gave them. And it's just, people just don't know. And I guess knowledge is, could be the best tool that a landowner could have is just having some sort of an idea of what they have, what they have for timber, what, where the markets are at. And that can be hard to figure out because they're always changing, but you know, trust and, and knowledge. Those are the two best tools that somebody could have. All right. Well, let's break down that knowledge and let's, let's go back to Mr. Anal John when he was working with you initially. And yep. I, I'm going to, I'm going to push landowners to consider this. So let's say I know nothing about, you know, the, the type of trees that I have. Um, I don't even know what the market's like. What resources do you have? Right. That's important. One of the resources that I used was I used stumpage prices from my state. They're seasonal, they're regional, you know, sub-regional. And it gave me kind of an average, uh, a, a low, a mid, a high for what they're paying seasonally. Now, the markets are all over the place, so that's one thing. The next part of it is knowing what species you have in your property. And you can utilize resources that you have, friends, family, uh, logger, forester. Getting an inventory of what you have is really, really critical. Knowing what species exist, you know, the, the hardwoods, the softwoods, what would be considered, you know, saw timber or pulp timber, and understanding, you know, roughly what you have in the landscape. Now, let's take it a step further. Let's say you're... OCD about things and you really want to figure out, okay, how much volume do I have? Now you're looking at, you know, the size of the tree and doing a rough estimate by tree based on species. And that's not that difficult to do. Most landers, landowners are not doing that, but marking those trees, stump marking those trees, that's a check. So as a tree is cut, you can look at the stump to make sure that was the correct tree that needed to be cut and starting to make some selection decisions. Now, I know not, not everybody's a forester, and it's hard to think about long-term sustainment, but you don't have to high-grade everything either. And here's another example. Let's say you're cutting a bedding area, and you need smaller timber to work with. It's not a bad idea to get rid of the larger timber in that area, so you can work with the smaller timber. And you may want to take a percentage of those tops out of there so you have a little more space. This kind of gets into the strategy of what you're actually doing on your property. What I'm getting at is if you take the time to start to assess individual trees in, in specific areas and start to get a volume count. So you're going to look at the, the diameter of breast height. You're going to look up straight up the tree and you're going to look at the number of saw logs, you know, 16 foot logs that are part of that tree or eight foot logs that are part of that tree. And you're going to start to make some decisions on what that approximate volume is. So when I did my job, for an example, we took roughly 78,000 board foot on my property. Now, there was a reason why we took a high, a high amount of uh, you know, board footage out of that property based on some circumstances. Um, they all didn't have to do with deer hunting. But I came in, I think, somewhere around 76,000, somewhere in that range. So I was off maybe you know a percent or two, but pretty close. And, and again, if you want to take the time to manage a property like that, you, know, you can do that type of work. That might be a little bit extreme for most landowners, Josh. But I wanted to just give an example of kind of what I did on my property and you can map it out and you can map out your layout and how you're going to access those areas and where the landing sites want to be. So you can be very specific with your logger. And on top of that, if you have a habitat management plan associated with that, you can overlay the two. Uh, so just a recommendation or suggestion for people that are going to take this next step. So Josh, if you were working with a landowner, they needed to gain knowledge. And I know you walk a lot of woodlots with, with, with landowners. Where do you start with them? Because I think this is a 
this helps build that trust because you're not talking, you're, tra- you're trying to meet their goals, but you're also trying to get them to uh, recognize what they have. And, and you're not going to take advantage of them because it's really not in your interest to, because you, you don't want to feel like they get, you don't want them to feel like they got a raw deal out of the equation. So what typically do you step them through to get them to feel that you're kind of a trusted advisor? Just, uh, I'll work with them. You know, it's just continually asking questions, you know, just what they're looking for. I'm trying to feel them out. I'm always just trying to feel them out. You know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what they want done, you know, because there's no two guys that want the same thing ever, rarely. And, you know, always asking questions, you know, and generally speaking, if you were going to do a conservative harvest, you would want to start with, you know, your shorter trees or your big crotch trees or the ones that are dying. That's, that's what you want to start with. The ones that are the worst first. I mean, that's a simple saying worst first. I mean, there's always big mature timber. That's where your money's at. That's, that's where you're going to make your money. That's your goal is to grow big, tall, straight trees. That's where you make your most money. And to, continually just keep working at a piece of woods. You know, you're always, you want those taller, straighter trees all the time. You, those, are, those are the ones that you want to leave until they get to maturity. And for a landowner to gain knowledge, the good old internet, I mean, you can find anything on there. And so you can find stumpage prices, whatever region or state you're in, just, you can start doing your research and fi- figure out where the stumpage prices are at. And that'll, that'll give you your baseline. Now, not, not everything's the same. I've seen trees go from a very high dollar value to on the lower end of mediocre in a small 10 acre woodlot. And it just happens from one slope to the other. And so it gives you a baseline but when you're talking to whoever it may be, a forester or a logger, you should be feeling them out as a landowner too. You know, what are you thinking as far as price and different properties require different things like your piece. I could, you could almost not cut that in the summertime unless it was absolutely bone dry. Your piece had to be a wintertime cut. It was a long uphill skid. If you did that in the summer, you'd be have belly pan deep ruts for sure. And so just all these things got to be factored into the equation when you're walking a woodlot and you just kind of figure it out as you go. What, what suits that woodlot best and, and or the landowner? Some landowners don't care. They, they want their timber. They know the prices are high. They say, just get the money and we'll deal with the mess later. And other guys want to do what's best for the woodlot. And it's different for everybody. And you, it goes back to you got you got to have a plan. You got to have in your mind what you want done. Let me talk a little bit about market. So the market, it's been pretty hot, right? And not they, they, have, they have been very hot right. for the last couple of years. And prices have gone up. Stumpage prices have obviously increased quite a bit. That's propelling people to make some decisions. And I think a lot of people are concerned, you know, at this point, what the market's going to look like over the next year. And, and several going years. Down. Yeah. It's, 
Yeah. Right. We've talked about that, you and I together. It's interesting because even from the time I cut my property to the market today, you know, there's been a significant increase and it's hard to make those timely predictions. So it's a better strategy sometime to play the long game and taking these, I'll just say supplemental or temporary cuts. And to Josh's point earlier, I thought that was like a great point. Take the worst first. And then as you progress and you build, obviously a a woodlot that's productive, you know, you slowly select and take the appropriate trees out over time. In some cases, you'll take the dominant or co-dominant trees. You'll allow the understory trees to develop. And, uh, you know, it's just canopy manipulation is is what what your intention there is. Yep. What do you think about the markets today? And what are your, what's your opinion right now? I think that just along with everything else in the economy, everything just skyrocketed for what reason? I'm not really sure. They say supply, but. I don't know. And everything, it, some of the markets got higher than probably I'll see again in my lifetime, I think. And I would say right at this moment, we're kind of a realistic number, but it's, it's still headed down. And I think what's happened has been the markets went up and everybody wanted to cut. Everybody wanted to cut their woodlot. And now the markets are flooded the building is slowing down. And so now there's going to be more lumber than what's being sold, which requires less logs because those logs get sawed into lumber and those markets are all getting flooded. So it's a domino effect and it'll probably go. It's constantly like a roller coaster, just up and down and up and down. Typically it goes down in the summer anyway and back up a little bit in the winter. And hopefully this winter it comes back a little bit. Only time will tell that. But, and I don't want to say, you know, if you get your woods cut in the summertime, that's bad. That's not necessarily true either. Because markets can be just fine in the summertime, and it depends on what you have for wood. Typically, if you have exceptional wood, you would want to cut that in the wintertime because it won't spoil. The logger, typically, me, has more time to do find specific markets for what you have for wood and ship them. And that time to find those markets will get the landowner and the logger both more money. And in the summertime, you just, you don't have the time. So typically for a guy that has lower quality timber or smaller timber that wants it cut for habitat purposes, I try and do those jobs in the summertime because that, that wood is lower quality anyway. So it doesn't really matter if it's cut in the winter or the summer. It's going to generally bring the same amount of money versus your bigger, nicer timber that you can sell for a veneer and your top qualities. You got to have time to move them. And, and you can really only do that in the wintertime. Yeah, those are all good points. And, you know, hopefully the market sustains itself for a while. But like, like we said, we, it's, hard to, it's hard to predict these things. All right, I want to push you along the line and talk a little bit about contract strategy. So when you and I interacted, obviously, you know, I'm pretty well versed in drafting contracts. I drafted up a contract with us and I had a bunch of specific to-dos, timelines, liability, you know, payment strategy, all those things that went in 
to kind of the relationship. But one thing that I, I really tried to be clear on for me was I wanted to know the value, right? I wanted to have a good understanding of the value. Now we didn't stipulate, you know, in my situation, what each log would be worth. Of course, we didn't have an average value. We didn't have any of those things, but we had a rough idea of what the volume was. And I, I did an estimate of that in the layout. And then I had obviously maps to draw trail systems in there that I wanted to be manicured and maintained. We put some food plots in, but then part of that whole thing was what was the overarching payment schedule? I think that's probably one of the more critical things. So the one thing that I was big on with you is I wanted to do a share and shares could be anywhere where it's in the favor of the logger, meaning he's getting more in the deal. He's getting 60% and, and you as a landowner may be getting 40% or that's split or it's 50, 50 or whatever the case may be based on the circumstances. And that could be, you know, how long is it to, for them to haul, you know, the, the resident logs off the property and uh, how tough the job is. And, and that's all consideration for the logger, the time and effort required to remove the timber. If it's far located and he's got to drag it a mile out, you know, that's obviously going to be more expensive job than something that's very close to the road and the landing sites, you know, very uh, accessible. But yeah. I, I think the one thing I want to get into is, you know, there's different kind of strategies, you know, buying standing timber, um, buying it on a share and, and, I want to kind of know what your your thought process is behind that and what the differences are and the, and the potential pros and cons for a landowner. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it, generally, I shouldn't say generally. If you're working with a logger, a lot of times it's on a percentage split. And for the most part, that varies between a 50-50 and I would say about a 70-30 with the landowner getting 70 and that would be on exceptional timber on a, on an easier job. There's only been one time in my, in my career that I've taken 60% and that was on a very difficult job. It was very steep ground, low quality timber and not much of it there. And I, I was very upfront with the landowner about it. And he gave me a little bit of pushback on it. And I, I was up front and I told him if he didn't want me to do it for that, then I wasn't interested in the job because if I gave him any more than that, then I wasn't making money. And that, that to a point is the bottom line. I mean, any forester or logger you have is going to make money. That that's why they're in business. And, but you don't want to get bent over by him at the same time. I mean, for me, I found the honesty being up front that, makes them feel comfortable, give them their options, ask them what they want. And that gains their trust. And I usually give them the option, you know, as we're browsing the woodlot, I'll say, do you want to split your timber on a percentage with me? Or do you want me to buy it standing? And we'll, we'll get into the whole, that whole conversation with the landowner and as a landowner, there's pros and cons to both. If you have, I would say, better timber, the, the landowner would make out better as long as you have the right logger doing it, as long as he's got the markets for it to separate the best timber and the saw timber, the landowner would make out much better. And as the, the less dollar value in each tree the less worth it it is to do it that way. But generally speaking, the landowner would make out 
better and doing it that way. But on the other hand, selling it standing, like right now, the markets are trending down. If you're in a quick hurry to sell your timber or want to do something, it might be a better option to sell it standing. But, but it's not guaranteed at the same time. So to that point, I would say, unless you really trust who you're working with, then you might want to find a certified forester, somebody that's recommended to mark your timber and put it up to bid standing, Um, which I've done it that way. I've bought standing timber direct from the landowner. If, you know, a lot of the jobs I do are referrals. And usually when you're having referrals, the last person liked you, the person before that liked you. And so the person you're working for now likes you. And if you have trust and you're not trying to make a quick buck off each landowner, you get a better reputation. And that's, that's how I get most of my jobs. So you said originally that if the quality of timber is greater, maybe average or above average for that matter, Mm -hmm. it may be a better, depending on the volume, Again, depending on the site location, I mean, there's a, a lot of buts or ifs there, that are in this there, question. There is. There's, there's a lot of buts in there. Yeah. The, the, share, the share or split, you know, whatever the terminology you want to use, may be the better route to go in that particular instance. Yeah. More times than not, I think we're, the rubber meets the road and we have clients and individuals that I talk to and work with all the time that are very opposed to the share piece of this. And I think there's opportunity there that we sometimes neglect. Now, if the market's doing really, really well and you do have quality timber, it seems risky to do that, but it's it's not as risky as you seem because you you guys are both, you know, the logger and the landowner is is kind of sharing in the opportunity there. Right. And and you're connected in those markets. So it's really important to have somebody that has good market connections. And the other piece of this is how do you bid it out? Like on my job is a great example where, you know, we did the first layout and I went and I was assessing quality with you. I was looking at the quality of each, each tree. I was kind of knew what the volume was for, for, for the first triaxle. And, you know, we had a rough idea what it was and we got, we got three bidders and bidding each, I guess, each segmented, you know, 10,000 board foot section that we had pulled out, we kind of got a rough idea of, of who we were going to work with throughout that process. And bidding out that timber really was helpful to figure out, you know, who the best payee would be at that point in time. So I think there's opportunity there to work with your logger, per se, to know what your volume is, to know what the quality of those logs are, how they're grade per se, and then knowing what people are paying and and having that competitive stance where you're maybe working with multiple mills or Josh, you know, you're working with a couple individual mills that that you're very close with where you may have the potential to make more money for the landowner for that matter and and maybe pay them above market price in some instances because there's an efficiency there, a relationship that you have, you know, with those particular clients. Um, Is that all true from, from what I'm uh, explaining? Okay. It is. And and to to that point, I mean, the, and again, this goes back to trust, but if you're meeting with multiple, multiple loggers and you think you want to go with a percentage split, if you talk to say three different guys 
that you're kind of, you know, these guys kind of seem all right. They're all kind of on the same playing field. You're going to want to get into maybe talking about markets. And because one guy, if he says he'll do it and he'll only take 30%, but he's only going to sell to this one guy, which could be good or bad. And that's, that's why you need to talk about markets and, and money and how, how much he thinks is in there versus a guy that might take 50%. Now this could go either way. The guy that wants 50%, he might not have the best markets. He might want more money, more, more percentage because he doesn't have the best markets versus the other guy. But it, that could be flip-flopped as well. I've seen guys that only want 30% that are, you know, I call them a weekend warrior. They might cut a little bit on the weekends and more so in the winter when they can move wood, but they'll just sell to whoever they think's paying the best at that point in time versus the guy that wants 50%. But the guy that wants 50%, I mean, I know for me in wintertime, I'm separating species and grade, you know, say the veneer might go one place. This species might go another place. I might send wood three, four, five different places off the same job just to get, you know, if this mill's paying the most on this species, but not good on this other one, then I'll send that wood somewhere else to get the most money. And that takes a lot of time. And so for me, that that's where I make my money is not just on the end of the chainsaw, but it's making the most money on what's there. And that's a benefit to both the landowner and the logger. And for me, even if I were to take, say, 50%, I bet you I could make more money for the landowner than there's a couple guys around that aren't, that are taking about 30. And I'm not knocking those guys but I could still make the landowner more money if I took 50%. All right, let's... And, let's, that, and that, that's just a for instance. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good example. And I think a lot of people, I haven't heard anybody talk about in podcasts, and it's, it's you being very open and honest, and that's the whole whole thought process behind this is exposing these particular instances and, and their strategy around this, their strategy, how you draft the contract, how you work with your, your logger or forester to understand the volume um, how they market and sell those particular items, how much awareness you have of those contracts when they do sell them to make sure you're getting the right amount of you know, dollars in these transactions that we're talking about. Let's talk about standing timber and buying standing and, and the benefit and pitfalls of that. I've got one particular landowner around me and I really, he, he bothers me, Josh. I, I, he's not a client of mine, but he bothers me uh, because I continue to see him waste opportunity and he does sell standing and he has high quality timber. So he fits into that class where a share option would be much better for him. But a lot of people want to stand or sell their timber standing because they get that instantaneous gratification of I'm going to get X amount of dollars. And a part of that, they don't worry so much about, you know, the minutia, like we're talking about earlier, the markets. And it gives you really as a logger a lot more opportunity uh, depending on, you know, what volume we're talking about and, and uh, that contract activity to make some real money in, the, in those situations. And, and maybe it's better in your case to do that in some instances. So maybe can you talk about the pros and cons from a, from a landowner standpoint? 
Uh, I mean, as far as selling standing, I do run into a fair amount of people that, you know, in generally speaking, they would trust somebody to just call one guy in and say, I want you to buy my timber. I don't want to mess around with, you know, they don't want to deal with any of it. They just, they want their check and they want their woods taken care of whatever they want to get out of it. They want their woods taken care of. They want their money and they don't want to deal with the rest of it. So if you're that type of person that doesn't even want to deal with the people or dealing with meeting with multiple people, you got to find somebody you trust. And to that point, selling your timber standing might be a better option for you. I've seen jobs where guys have been taken advantage of big time and what they really got out of it or what the stumpage volume was, was significantly greater than, than obviously really was paid out per se. So that's where your knowledge and your awareness really comes into play there. Uh, but I do understand there are risks and rewards in this and the market, the volatile market could be a consideration like you had talked about earlier with, with the standing timber and buying it standing. So to each their own. And I don't, I didn't want to criticize, you know, an individual and it doesn't even matter who that individual was, but it made me think to be critical of your decision, period. Don't be so narrow-minded and unaware. And there's other ways to make these transactions happen. I can I can think of a few other um, interim payments and percentage payments and those type of things that, that come into play. But also you need to think about, you know, and we'll get into this in part two of this is, you know, once you've created a contract, what are the steps the logger is doing um, on the landing sites or things that they have to, you know, procure, um, how you're, you know, how you interact with the logger uh, or forester for that matter. And, and just like very specific things that, that may be more nuanced or particular to your property. So I didn't really want to go any further, Josh, today. I think this is quite a bit of information for people. And I think it gets their, uh, you know, it, it gets them thinking more in depthly because now is a great time to start to plan for the future and think about hiring the right person if you're going to make some decisions. Anything else you want to add to the conversation today? I mean, just trust. It really all boils down to trust. You, you got to trust who you're working with, who, whoever that may be, and whatever route you decide. You just, it's like I said before, it's like dealing with a used car salesman. You can either get a good one that some somebody you trust and somebody that's going to tell you what the vehicle is before you buy it or you got the the slimy one that's trying to sell you something that that's not there and and those are usually the ones that are going to take advantage of you all right good way to end this man i appreciate you being on i'm looking forward to part two and uh, we'll get into more i guess crazy discussions or maybe we've got a few more stories we can share with people of mistakes that we've seen made and maybe something that will uh We'll get people to think differently and, and have a different approach and uh, think about improving their property because that's a, that's a huge goal of this podcast. So thanks for being on and we'll, we'll talk again soon. See ya. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Talk soon, Josh. Bye. Bye. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com.